Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. Got a great show for you tonight, but the uh, baseball season is almost a week old. The Mets are, as what we expected, three and three. This is an average team, folks. Uh, I know people were picking them to win. I don't see where they got that from. Uh, you know, they're, they're just not, uh, haven't been very impressed so far by anything the team has done. In fact, uh, I don't understand some of the moves, but, uh, you know, we go through this every year. And, uh, look, uh, guys aren't hitting. Can't understand why Cano is still in the lineup. Can't understand. Cespedes is being terrible. Terrible is the DH. He got a home run. Everybody was bragging about him on opening day. Oh, he's back. He's back. He's back. He's done nothing since then. I think he's hitting 211, if, if that. Um, now on the good side, uh, Jacob DeGrom, six games in, Jacob DeGrom's already got two no decisions. They just don't score for him. Don't know why. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but they do not score for Jacob DeGrom. And, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it's frustrating. It's gotta be very frustrating for him. They lost the game last night, six to five. Degrom left with a three to two lead, and they blew it. You could see it coming. You you could feel it when the bullpen came in. Very strange. Uh, bullpen has been not so hot. They've blown two or three games already. Uh, Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz. Uh, I don't think he's pitched. I don't recall seeing him since opening day. Maybe he has. Uh, I'm sorry. The second game of the season when he blew the lead, I don't. I don't think. I can't remember seeing. I might have missed it though. Uh, I can't remember seeing him pitch though since uh, the second game of the season. Uh, but uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, the guy is part of the worst trade. I don't care what anybody wants to say. Uh, Robertson Cano. And uh, Edwin Diaz, uh, worst trade in Mets history for Kellenick and Dunn, and, and Jay Bruce was in there, and somebody else was in there. And then the guy, look at he, he blows the game, second game of the season, and then he's caught on TV smiling. Smiling! What the heck do you have to smile about? There's nothing to smile about. You should be angry, not laughing. You'd be angry because this is you, this is what you do constantly. Constantly. And he's laughing. 
Like it's a funny thing. Well, you know, there's people that, that pay hard earned money to watch ball games now now on TV, but we're still paying. And we don't want to see somebody blow a game for us and then have the audacity to laugh like nothing happened. Show some feelings, but show some anger. Don't laugh. Like a stupid hyena. Disgusting. He should be on the trading block and gone. Gone. And you know, if 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 I was the uh, owner of this team, or if I was the new owner coming in, there's three things I do right away. The first is I get rid of uh, Brody Van Wagenen. He's got to go. He's got to go. Every move has been horrible. You got the Cano deal. You got the signing of uh, uh, Jed Lowry. You got the signing of uh, who else did he sign that, that panned out? Uh, okay, Waka wasn't bad. Pacello. Uh, Ramos really isn't doing anything this year. I mean, the trades he made have stunk. We gave up a number one pitcher in Justin Dunn and a 1A pitcher in Anthony Kay, and what do we got to show for it? Strowman's on, on his heart again. Cano's hitting 211. Or whatever he's hitting. It was 125, and whoo, he got a couple of hits. And he got a couple of hits when they didn't need the hits. He came up with the bases loaded and went out and bounced into a double play. Next time up, two outs, nobody on. He gets a little blue pit. I mean, come on. Diaz stinks. So the first thing that should be done is Brody Van Wagenen fired. The second thing that should be done, Robinson Cano. Here's your paycheck. I, I I know it's not my money, and they would owe him, I think, $72 million, something along that line. I, I To me, it'd be worth the money. If I was buying a team, $72 million, here it is. Goodbye. Get the hell out of here. The same thing with Jed Lowry, though. With Jed Lowry, I'd argue that, hell, he hasn't even played. Why should I even pay him anything? He got paid last year $10 million for nothing. And he's going to get a prorated salary this year. I don't know what it's going to be, but... Uh, and he contributed nothing. He's a bust. He should retire and let them do what they did with Mo Vaughn, get the insurance settlement. Those are the three things he should do. Cano, Lowry gone... And uh, uh, BVM or BVW. That's the first thing. Then there are other things you need to do, but we won't get into that. Uh, let's see what else is new with the Mets. 
Hey, Andres Jimenez, this kid looks like he can play. He's been fielding very well. He's a good fielder. The knock on him was his bat. He had two hits yesterday in his first start. He started for Rosario, uh, played some shortstop. He's been coming in every game as a replacement for Cano at second. I, I say, look, can the kid hit any worse than Cano? Cano should be sitting on the bench, riding the pine, and this kid should be playing second every day. And let's see what he does with Rosario as a double play combination. Let's see. He's 21. He's going to grow. He's going to get stronger. Yes, they're going to knock the bat out of his hand now. But you know what? He looked like he had a pretty good stroke last night and a good idea what to do with the ball. And as I said, he's not going to do any worse than Cano. Nobody could do any worse than Cano. And you still got uh, Cano to back him up and Guillaume. So I think Jimenez, look, you've been talking about him, talking about him as a shortstop. You, if you're not going to plan on getting rid of Rosario in the near future, then let him play second base. Let them work together. You could have a great combination there. It would, it would tighten up the defense up the middle and and would and this team needs defense their defense stinks oh my god is it terrible JD Davis is like no clue what a glove is McNeil is slipped defensively which is I'm really surprised at. Uh, we'll see. He may be able to come back from it, but JD Davis got no idea. You know, he's a, he's a terrible fielder. I mean, he's, he's flopping all over the place. Uh, you know, so, uh, so my prediction, let's do that. My prediction is that the Mets will go between 25 and 32 wins. That's my prediction. They're a 500 team. They're an average team. Uh, the pitching, we're going to talk about that in a second, is a little bit better. But, uh, you know, that's what I think of this team. All right. We have a guest, and I want to get to the guest, and I've taken way too much time already. But uh, got a great guest, so let's go to him right now joining me this week is the author of a terrific uh, new book that's out it's a little bit of a different type of book but it's called uh, big sexy the bartolo cologne story and uh, he is michael stall and michael welcome to mets musings thanks for having me appreciate it uh michael how did this book come about for you well, so I was a high school English teacher for about 11 years, for 11 years, and uh, I transitioned uh, into writing, and, and at that time, which this was 2012, uh, I kind of got involved in this publication called Narratively. Uh, Narratively is a digital storytelling platform. I still work for them. I still write a lot of stories for them. I edit for them. Mm -hmm. um, but back in those days, in 2012, Narratively was also a, a new upstart uh, publication and they were looking for writers and uh, they used to have these open editorial meetings where you know anybody could show up and, and pitch them stories so because 
I didn't have any connections at all to anybody. Uh, I, uh, I made sure that I went to those meetings. I made sure that I had stories to pitch. And fortunately, every single one of those meetings uh, that the editors and narratively took, took one of my stories. But also at one of those editorial meetings was another, uh, uh, I think, new writer at the time, this guy named Garrett McGrath. <clears throat> so I met Garrett. We kind of bonded over New York sports. And, uh, you know, fast forward uh, seven years later, uh, he or I guess six and a half years later at that point, uh, he is, you know, he's worked his way up the ranks in publishing and he became an editor at Abrams Books. Uh, and we stayed friends, uh, but uh, he came up with this idea for the uh, Bartolo Colon autobiography. At that point, uh, August, September of, of 2018, it looked like Bartolo's career was coming to an end. Technically, he's still active, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, he hasn't played since. But uh, Garrett came up with the idea for the book. Uh, he, he felt that, you know, he needed a writer and he, and, he, and he thought I'd be good for it. And, you know, he just knew that I was a big Mets fan, uh, knew that I was a big Bartolo fan and, uh, you know, was knowledgeable about baseball. Uh, and in spite of the fact that I don't speak Spanish, uh, Garrett, uh, you know, did his part in, in hiring me to, to write the book on behalf of Bartolo. How big a problem was that, that the, the language that you didn't speak Spanish, even though you had a translator? Uh, I mean, does it uh, I guess the question is, does the, the story lose anything in the translation? He, you know, he does speak English better than than uh, people. <laughs> uh, I will say that, but no, we did have to communicate through a translator, and um, it, you know, overall, it was it was okay. There were some points, though. I'll tell you a funny story. I don't think I've said this on any other podcast. His accent is really thick when he speaks in English, so he can't speak English. But I think that's the biggest reason, maybe, why he's not the most comfortable because his accent is crazy heavy and <laughs> like i said i've been a big baseball fan since i was you know three years old right and i'm 40 so i go back a ways and he was trying to tell me that greg maddox had taught him the grip for the two-seam fastball and just i can't even exp like imitate the way he was saying maddox's last name <laughs> yeah. but i couldn't make it out and at one point i said to him i said i'm sorry i've never heard of him uh, and and Bartolo was like, "Come on!" He goes, "You've heard of Greg, you know." And then, however, he says right, the name. Right, right. Finally, like uh, eventually, it clicked. I was like, "Oh, oh Greg Maddox." He goes, "Yes." And I thought, okay. Yes, I've heard of Greg Maddox. <laughs> um, but besides that, you know, it was it was okay. We we spoke through the uh, through the interpreter. Uh, we got everything transcribed. Uh, I even had a uh, the transcription service translated his spanish words into english and you know overall it really wasn't uh yeah. that big of a deal um did he did you ask him a lot of questions did you go in with an idea of the book or was it more what he well, wanted to say what did did you know did he just talk to you and you recorded the conversations was it or was it a combination of both yeah. I mean, technically, I wasn't really wearing my journalist hat because and primarily I'm a freelance journalist. Mm -hmm. I wasn't wearing my journalist hat because ultimately it's his book. It, whatever he wants right. in goes in and, and, and in the way that he wants it worded and, and framed. Mm -hmm. um, but still, like I, I did go in there 
in a sense, acting like a journalist in that it was just a very extensive interviewing process because, you know, I was writing, you know, his story on his behalf. So uh, it took some time for us to figure out all contractual stuff. And I had a lot of time to think about how I wanted the book to to look and, and, and the narrative that I wanted to craft. Um, and that came from doing a deep dive into his baseball reference page, uh, reading a, a terrific uh, New York Times profile of him, and just going back and pretty much reading just about any interview with him that I could that I could find online. Uh, oh, and again, I, I was just generally familiar with his with his uh, mm-hmm. with his um, career, regardless. But still, anyway. So I go. I I kind of had a sense of how the book would would be structured in my mind and. Um, I wanted to, when I first met him, I really didn't want to show up and seem like this big Mets fan, deer in headlights, like, (laughs) oh my God, I'm meeting Bartolo. So I'm going to ask him about the home run, you know? So I wanted him to know that I was taking this project seriously. So I realized that he had pitched, uh, game three of the 1998 American league championship series for the Indians, he pitched against that mighty 98 Yankees team, which would go on to win the World Series. And uh, that's the best team that I've ever seen in my life. And the Yankees, that is, and uh, Bartolo shut them down. He gave up uh, one run and in, in a nine-inning complete game win and put the Indians up two games to one over the Yankees. I didn't remember that he had pitched that game, but I do remember Yankee fans like soiling themselves <laughs> that year, being being down two games to one to the Indians, and it was Bartolo that that got the Indians there. So the first thing I did is, you know, I, I said to him, I said, "Listen, you know, Bartolo, the first thing I want to hear about uh, is uh, this this game you pitched against the Yankees. It's the best team I've ever seen. How, how did you do that? How did you approach that? How'd you shut them down?" So he said, uh, "He, you know, he." goes through the story and then at the end of the conversation he says to me you know i have video of the ninth inning from that game on my phone so i said in my head i was like i'm in because obviously this is like a special memory for him sure and you know i think that really helped you know him warm up to me and if i had gone in and maybe just asked about the home run he would have been like ah you know this guy would have been typical i told him i knew his career well yeah and uh you know really you know he is shy he is reserved uh whether he's speaking spanish or english but i think he is just one of those people and i'm kind of like this too to be honest that um you know if you get if you just get to know the person a little bit you know warm up to them mm-hmm. you know then he'll talk he'll he'll, yeah. he'll go on, on yeah. you know at, at great length yeah, uh, it it is. Uh, I, I I mentioned before that it it it's a different kind of a book. I mean, it's not your typical uh, uh, baseball book. Uh, the whole structure of the book's even a little bit different, but it's very interesting. And uh, he he seemed to be uh, very open. He, I mean, he he really didn't he he uh, he didn't let hide anything at all he he kind of put his whole life right out there for you well there's one aspect of his life that has come out in the media that that we did that we don't get into in the book uh and i'll just leave it at that well, but okay, yeah he does he does talk about the steroids uh for instance and he does talk about some very deep personal tragedies yeah, uh, yeah. that he scored. 
Um, and with the steroid stuff, I'll be honest. I mean, I was aware of the steroid uh, accusations and his suspension, but uh, that actually came together in terms of him opening up about it. That came together very organically, and he actually brought it technically, sort of brought it up. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, I was going again through his sort of uh, baseball reference page. I was looking at his uh, postseason statistics, and I saw that I knew he was with Oakland for two years, and I saw that he had pitched for Oakland in the postseason one year. And I and just my memory, I was like, I thought Oakland made the postseason both years, so. I asked him, I said, how come you didn't pitch for Oakland in, in this year, whatever year that was, I think it was 2013 or mm-hmm. something. And, and he says, uh, oh, it's, you know, I had that little issue. I said, what issue? And he goes, you know, the, the steroids, the performance enhancing drugs. I said, oh, okay. I was like, that's right. I was like, do you want to talk about it? He goes, yeah, sure. You know, so mm-hmm. we spoke about that. Uh, and he talks a lot about, and this is in the book. He talked a lot about how upset he was that he had to like call his father and, and right. tell his dad right. that he was suspended and, and how disappointed his father was in him. And that just like crushed him. Uh, but I did, I'll be honest with you, you know, again, behind the scenes, uh, inside information for you. He, uh, <laughs> I, I asked him, I said, I said, so this was just a one-time thing. And he said, yeah, like the way he like recoiled at the thought of, even doing steroids again after that, like it would just like really upset him and yeah. disturbed him. So I think, it, I mean, I believe him. I, I think I have a pretty good uh, BS meter and, and I believe him when he says that it was just kind of a, a one-time thing where he, like a lot of other people were trying to stay competitive. Yeah. And, and as you said, the one thing that he meant that he didn't talk about, we, we, you know, we, we don't have to get into that, but the, uh, uh, that's, that's he didn't bring that up, and I didn't. I didn't want to ask him. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, no. It, 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 certain thing, things I did really him on two different occasions. I said to him on two different occasions. The last time I interviewed him in New York, or rather, sorry, New Jersey. He lives in New Jersey, so I I split the interviews up where half of them were in New Jersey and half of them were in the Dominican Republic. I, I got to travel down there and hang out with him. I did say to him on two different occasions. I said, "Is there anything else you want to?" talk about it and have it so, i was sort of driving at that but he yeah, said yeah. no okay so you know maybe one day he'll open up about that aspect of his life yeah. that i think we all know what i'm talking about yeah. without saying it yeah. uh, you know but uh he wasn't comfortable broaching that subject but everything else i think he was open and very honest about. i i, I extremely honest i i tell you one of the things that that struck me was how emotional a guy is i mean because yeah. it seems like he was crying at everything <laughs> yeah. one of my friends one of my friends was reading the book and like got into like the third chapter or something like right at the beginning of the book and she i think it was a, a female friend of mine she said to me she said man this guy cries a lot <laughs> i was like you you, you don't even know the half of it <laughs> And and uh, I mean I just I, I, I he always seemed like a good teammate. I mean you always seen him talking, uh, and that was one of the things that always I had a question. You said he does talk English, uh, speak English, I should say. Uh, but you always do wonder as a fan because you you know they'll show you the dugout and you'll see them. He'll be talking to Syndergaard and and uh, Degrom, and and standing there goes. How the heck is he talk to him if he if he can't talk, you know, speak English? And the same thing for Cespedes. But uh, I, I would imagine that they have. 
I, I think the main reason is they're not comfortable, probably in certain situations, to talk like uh, talk yeah, in exactly. English. In that context, they're fine. Yeah, and he's shy, and he actually gets into this a little bit in the book about why he's so shy. I think again, it more has to do with him sort of being shy, mm-hmm. and that feeds into his discomfort a, a little bit. But he kind of gave gave some interesting insight into why that might be the case, and and he discusses how. Uh, he, he's from the, uh, you know, very rural area in the Dominican Republic and just kind of it's understood in sort of Dominican culture that that people from the cities are a little bit more like sort of open and, and lively and, and talkative and, and, and uh, more extroverted, whereas people from rural areas, for whatever reason, they're just a lot more humble and a lot more, you know, introverted and, and closed off. And uh, he he's very close to his his uh, parents and his father he was uh as you say he was in uh, one of the things that embarrassed him the most was when he got caught with the steroids with having to tell his father uh, also it was a lot of joy when he won the cy young award too telling his father as well uh and i guess yeah. in that kind of community it's it's uh understandable tight-knit community uh, you know I'll, I'll tell you another story about when i went down to the dominican republic uh, you know, and this is something, you know, you won't get in, in press releases or, or anything, but it speaks to the kind of guy that he is. When I was down in the Dominican Republic, uh, he drove me around where he grew up and he took me to the first ball field where he ever pitched a game. Uh, I think he was 14 years old or so uh, at that uh, when he pitched that first game, of course. And uh, we were just kind of hanging out and I was asking him what were the games like and he was talking about you know, the bats were like orange tree branches and, you know, boxes and milk cartons were the bases, all that stuff. Yeah. And this woman who looked like she might have been in like her, you know, I don't know, her 60s or so, late 50s, maybe late 50s, 60s. She just kind of walks, it comes down, you know, to the field and, and walks up to Bartolo. Hey, Bartolo, kisses him on the cheek. I mean, this is probably some woman that he's known from the area since he was a, a child. Yeah. And yeah. even though he is, I mean, you think he's a big star in, in America. I mean, he is a god in this part, especially in this part of the Dominican Republic. I mean, he's basically the most famous person to ever come out of that area. And, you know, Dominicans are, of course, baseball crazy. So everybody knows Bartolo. He is a true superstar down there. And this woman just kind of comes up, hey, Bartolo, kisses him on the cheek. They just start talking back and forth, you know, old friends, uh, no big deal. And one of Bartolo's representatives, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, this woman, he goes, you'll never hear this. He goes, but this woman, a few years ago, her house was in like really bad shape. And Bartolo just built her a new house. Like she didn't even ask, he just did it for her. And, you know, in the we don't talk about we don't have that in the book. I just didn't feel that was that was, you know, necessarily something he wanted everybody to know uh, in in that widespread. But he does discuss how every Christmas he he gives out, you know, these like sort of food packages, you know, these food boxes to, to the needy people around the Dominican Republic, hundreds of them. And again, something you'll never see in a in a press release or anything. Because what kind of a jerk would he look like if he just, <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm I'm giving all this stuff away to the point. But he's a very generous uh, person in that way. Yeah, he's he he comes across as that. Uh, 
with the uh, the whole uh, uh, academy, the baseball academy he's built down there, and and everything. Well, that, is a, that is a for-profit business, but at the same <laughs> time, yeah, I mean, it definitely. But it definitely is a resource. I definitely think that's part of it. It's a resource that does serve the community, absolutely. Yeah, and if he makes a little change on it, what the heck? That's you know, he's got to pay for it somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's made a lot of money, but you know, it's not like uh, you know, the, a lot of that stuff goes to uh, agents and, and sure. managers. Now, where he is in the Dominican, because we've heard horror stories about some of these players in certain Latin American countries where they've been, you know, we've heard of kidnapping and. And everything yeah. like that is is David Ortiz, David Ortiz was shot in the Dominican Republic. Right. As a matter of fact, that happened. I think, if I remember correctly, that happened about a week after I was down there. Although I was in a different a different city uh, altogether. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so yeah, he's he's from sort of the northern mountains in an area called Altamira, and uh, it's actually where Christopher Columbus uh, landed uh, when when he uh, when he discovered America. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a safer area if he, if he feels safe there. Is he just so big that? Uh... Yeah, he. I think that uh, he he do, he does sort of take some precautionary measures uh, to keep himself safe. Um, but uh, when he drives around, uh, he you know people do look in to his windshield and they'll see him. And usually, I saw this play out many times when I was driving around with him. Uh, you'll see a kid just kind of like look and then like their their jaw will drop a yeah. little bit, their eyes will widen. <laughs> and then Bartolo will like, you know, wear his siren and, and kind of wave or whatever. And yeah. then they'll go <laughs> like that and they'll wave back and, like in total shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, he speaks about in the book having a drinking problem. And I don't think any of us really realize that. At, at all i don't recall ever seeing or reading anything about that and he was very honest about that can you talk about that a little bit yeah, you know i was not aware of that at all and 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 he brought it up and um the backstory on that is uh he was very afraid of flying and when he started playing especially with cleveland he uh the indians uh, he he had to fly often and didn't really know how to handle it. So he started drinking very heavily and he would get, he would basically get loaded every time he wanted to get on the, (laughs) every time he had to get on the plane. And, uh, just over time, he he said he even developed some liver problems. That's how bad it got. And, uh, then he had, you know, he was out of baseball for a year due to injury and also some personal tragedy that, that we get into in the book comes back to the Yankees. And I think, you know, I think if people look at the back of his baseball card, so to speak, they might even be like, oh, I forgot he pitched for the Yankees. He was only there one year, you know, no big deal. Right. I more remember him with these other teams. But that one year w- with the Yankees was tremendous for his career. You know, first and foremost, the Yankees mm-hmm. welcomed him back to baseball. Right. They gave him a chance to compete, and he pitched well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But also on a personal level, you know, he got to become very close with Mariano Rivera. And, uh, you know, Mariano, like, really helped guide him uh, through this this drinking problem and, and helped Bartolo get it under control. He does still drink, Bartolo, that is, but uh, he, he just kind of, you know, monitors and moderates himself uh, a lot more than he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, Mariano said, when we get on the plane, you sit next to me and you drink the same thing that I drink. So if he drank, like, you know, whatever, cranberry juice or a Coke or water, 
Bartolo drank a cranberry juice or a Coke or water. And, uh, you know, he said Mariano even like sniffed Bartolo's drink sometimes to make sure that he filled it. And Mariano said, listen, everything we do is in God's hands. If the plane goes down, we're dying and you're not going to know it anyway. So what difference does it make if you're drunk? And Bartolo's like, ah, that's a good point. But he, he had a number of good influences in his life. I mean, in, and in his career, uh, it, you know, you mentioned the Greg Maddox thing. Uh, also, Oral Hershiser was a big influence in his career. Yeah, Hershiser uh, had come over to the Indians from the Dodgers uh, when Bartolo was a rookie and, and, and really, you know, helped Bartolo out a lot. And later in his career, Bartolo, you know, paid that forward. And, and I think part of the reason he was able to hang on and, and get that wins record for Latin born pitchers was because, you know, of the, uh, you know, the external, um, how can I put this, you know, the sort of intangible uh, tutorial element of, of Bartolo's uh, baseball career where he would take Latin, especially Latin born players, you know, he would take them under, under his wing uh, and really teach them and, uh, and, and, show them how to be a professional and do extra workouts uh, after the team workouts had wrapped. So uh, he became a real mentor to, to many, many uh, players, uh, especially Latin-born pitchers who really looked up to him. And, and uh, you know, he, he seemed to be, as I mentioned earlier, a good influence when he was with the Mets we've seen. I mean, that's that's where we saw him the most, uh, basically being a Met fan. But uh, he, he, he was fantastic when he was here. He was great, and he says that those were, you know, the being in the, with the Mets was the best time of his career. He said the Mets fans were his favorite fans, and uh, I think it was kind of the perfect storm where not only were his skills still solid enough to where he could perform and Mets fans could get behind him that way, but he'd also opened up a little bit, you know, sort of on the personal side and, and, and you know, you know, let his hair down a little bit, you know, quote-unquote, and, uh, you know, uh, he tells that that great story in the book about, you know, the first time he, he you know, went to bat against Irvin Santana early in his Mets career and that the helmet came flying off. and Mets fans kind of got a blast out of that. He went to the trainer or the, the uh, equipment manager rather and said, hey, you know, next time give me give me a helmet one size bigger. I want that helmet to, to fall off all the time. <laughs> and, and you know, then that became like a huge thing. So, you know, Bartolo becomes known for his pitching, but also for his very poor hitting. And then he gives the greatest <laughs> gift of all, which is that home run in uh, 2016. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. That has to be one of the uh, the great moments in baseball history. We're not going to see it this season, and we may never see it again uh, with this universal it's tragedy. It's uh, the death of the pitching of the pitcher as hitter is to me, I think is, is really a brutal loss. Uh, uh, you know, anyway, I'll just leave it. Well, uh, I'm with you hundred percent. So I think it's the most stupidest rule that anybody ever created. Uh, uh completely. The game is so much better with the pitcher hitting in terms of just, uh, strategy and, and things like that. And, you know, just, and if we don't, and look, I understand that. Yes, maybe sometimes it's boring or whatever, but, you know what, then when we do have a pitcher do something, it's just that much more it's, exciting. Forget home runs, even if they just walk or if they drive in a, a run or if they get a bunt down the right A blue pit or something. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's just that much more exciting when it does happen. And those things do happen. Yeah. But anyway. 
and and <laughs> well, to me, I always feel too. It's like a, a natural. It's easier to follow a game because it's like a natural break in the batting order. You know where you are in the batting order when the pitcher comes up. You know, sometimes with with these designated hitters, if you don't remember somebody's hitting ninth, you know, it just seems like an endless. A good point too. Yeah, it creates it, it creates a rhythm through the game. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay, the home run, uh, you know, I can watch that thing a million times because it's so classic. Yeah. It's just, it's just. Uh, it's one of those things, right, where you watch it, even though you know what's going to happen, you still don't believe it, right? Like, yeah. I, I feel <laughs> I'm a big New York football Giants fan. Whenever I watch the, 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 the catch in, in Super Bowl 42 with, with Eli, like, I still think Eli's going to get, you know, tackled. Yeah. I still think going to get sacked and in the grass. And he gets out every time, and I'm always like, ah! <laughs> like, I never, I always think he's got that the the umpire is just going to call like, no, he's in the grass, <laughs> and he just it never happens. Yeah. Same thing with Bartolo. That's not going out, and then it goes out. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I found myself the other day. I was watching, it, and I actually went, go, go. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. It's crazy, um, but uh, did it. Uh, he actually took pride in his hitting, though, didn't he? If I remember correctly, he worked on his hitting, and it just Absolutely. he just wasn't good at it or whatever. I mean, it, I mean he hadn't practiced. And, yeah. and, and like every major league pitcher, you know, when they're kids and when they're in their, like, little local leagues or whatever, they hit, they you know, hit. and a lot of them aren't even – first of all, none of them are pitchers until they're, like, 13 years old, first of all. Um, cause you can't, you just can't do that. And right. then, uh, you know, so they all hit and, you know, a lot of them, usually they're so talented. They're probably the best pitcher and the best hitter in their town or city. Uh, they don't stop hitting until they get into, you know, I think the minor leagues, you know, college, I don't know if they hit in college, maybe not then, but uh, yeah. point being, point being, they all have a hitter background right? and, and it's all a big enjoying, enjoyable part of the game. Same thing for Bartolo. And uh, when he was coming to the Mets, uh, you know, he had his time in Montreal, but basically his time with the Mets was, you know, his first extended a period amount of time in, in, in the National League. And he said even going into that first year, he was talking with his friends saying, like, I want to hit a home run, you know. And, and uh, you know, he it just took him a couple of years to get comfortable in the box. Uh, he was only playing once every five days getting minimal at bats, two, two at bats a game. These are, you know, professional pitchers mowing him down, you know, and he hadn't hit basically in, I don't know, 20 years or something at that point, maybe more. And, uh, you know, it, it took him some time, but he proved, I think, to some extent how terrific, how amazing of an athlete he was by um, by getting comfortable in the box and slamming that uh, that James Shields pitch over the over the wall. It was uh, a sight to behold, and and I think uh, I think it was Ron Darling that said it was the slowest home run try he ever saw in his life. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Darling. I want to just throw something out here for, for that's personal for me. The thing that I love most about that home run call, and Gary Cohen, you know, he, he's terrific as yeah, always. Yeah. The thing I love most about that home run call is when Bartolo makes contact. You hear Ron Darling. Go back and listen to it again if you ever missed it. You hear Ron Darling go, oh, like that. And if, and if you know anything about broadcasting, it's that the color commentator is not supposed to step on the play-by-play guy's call. Right. You know, they're not. You know, he has to let 
he always has to let the play-by-play guy talk when the play-by-play guy wants to talk. But it shows how excited Darling was, (laughs) how amazing that moment was, that Darling couldn't even, like, like he held back mostly because he didn't just, like, lose it. But but he went, oh! Like, he he had to get something out because he was that excited. I I love that. So charming, that that moment, sincerely. And, of course, they gave him the uh, cold shoulder when he got back to the dugout. But, you know, you could see when they finally came out, the pure joy. Uh, even for the teammates, for him, uh, it's just amazing. And and yeah, he, he said know. all the starters, all the starters: Noah Syndergaard, Matt Harvey, Jacob Degrom. Yeah. They all like once things settled down, they were still like crowding around and being like, "You hit a home run! Like, what, what happened? How does that feel?" And he was like, "I can't believe it." He just kept saying over and over, "I can't believe it." How many years is, is, is he going to continue? I mean, uh, is he going to uh, try to get back to the major leagues again? Is he uh, – This year he was supposed to pitch in the Mexican League. COVID stopped that. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, look, I think if he makes it back, stranger things have happened. But um, I, I, think, uh, I, think it's about, I think it's about over. I have not been in touch with him. I saw him briefly. Uh, we did an interview together, virtual interview together. Uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. Um, but uh, I haven't, you know, we we kept our relationship professionally. We get along, you know, uh, uh-huh. but I yeah. can't call him up or anything like that. I don't. I haven't spoken to him really in 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 over a year now, essentially, and um, I don't really know where his head's at right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have my strong doubts, but also also I feel like uh, I wouldn't necessarily put it past him. Did he seem to have any inclination toward coaching at all? Yeah, and he actually mentions this in the book. He, you know, he says that he would love to be a pitching coach. Um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, he's not terrific with English. He's better than people realize, but he's not terrific with it. So he wonders if that might, you know, play a role uh, in 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 keeping him from getting work. But he did say that he would be interested in that at some point. Yeah. Now, another thing that uh, I guess the story that everybody talks about from this book is the donkey story. So, uh, oh, the, the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you want to tell that. Go right ahead. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to give too many details away because I'd love to tease people <laughs> in, into getting uh, into actually buying the book. Uh, that's the point of doing these right. interviews. Um, but um, we'll say that he had a donkey that was very special to him when he was uh, a teenager. Uh, The donkey's name was Pancho. And uh, the donkey helped him work in his father's field. His father, in fact, bought it for him. And and it was a pet, but it was really a a utilitarian, uh, you know, uh, device, (laughs) I guess, in in his life. Uh, But he loved the donkey. And uh, the donkey meets a very untimely demise uh, that is uh, equal parts tragedy and equal parts absolutely hilarious. Uh, so you get in the book, you get Bartolo's life, you get Bartolo's career, you get all the details on the home run, uh, you, you know, all, about how much he enjoyed beating the Yankees that year. You also get an incredible donkey death. <laughs> You get everything in this book. You get a parade, too, through uh, his town, everything. And a donkey death. <laughs> um, so what What really was your favorite part about doing this book and, and uh, other than meeting Bartolo? And... 
I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this, this is the honest truth. And honestly, you know, I've been a writer now for coming up on eight years full time. And since I left teaching and actually meeting Bartolo was great, but meeting Bartolo's father was actually uh, 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 an even, it turned out to be an even bigger deal for me. And I'll, I'll explain why. Um, and I'm glad you asked this question because even honestly, when I tell the story, it just brings back such great memories. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, I was hanging out, I was hanging out with Bartolo for a couple of days down in the Dominican Republic, you know, finishing up my interviews mm-hmm. and the way the book is structured is we kind of have these like asides where I asked Bartolo just sort of like some like rapid fire questions like what's your favorite uh uniform what's your favorite ballpark to pitch in things like that and we have bartolo's answers there but i also got the chance to speak to uh some other people that he knows from around the game including people like terry collins omar Vizquel, manny ramirez and they kind of tell their their favorite big sexy story um but i also spoke to friends of his from when he was a kid and um colleagues of his and, and, and family members. Uh, and I also asked them like, what's your best, you know, sort of Bartolo story. And, and I spoke to his father and his father says that I said, I said to him, I said, what, what's, what's this one, what's one story about your son that when, when you think about who Bartolo is as a person that, you know, it kind of summarizes who he is to you. Mm -hmm. And we were speaking through a translator and the story he essentially told was, that when Bartolo was about maybe 11, 12 years old, something like that, early teens, maybe, uh, Bartolo uh, by then had been working for his father in his father's field for six, seven, eight years or so, picking cacao, picking coffee, avocado, and and, and moving all of this uh, product, produce, in, into Bartolo's father's store that, that his father owned. Anyway, so one day Bartolo's father is like waking up Bartolo and he's like, all right, Bartolo, time to get out into the field and pick some cacao. Let's go. And Bartolo's like, no, dad, I'm too tired. I don't, I don't want to go today. No matter what his father did, Bartolo would not leave. And Bartolo's father left in a huff. He was very upset. And he goes out into the field and I, I think he propped up a ladder next to a cacao tree and he goes to to pull a cacao off the 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 tree and it's you know really resistant and he rips the cacao down and the branch ricochets back and forth and hits him in the eye and he falls off his his ladder and his eye is like cut and it's like puffing up and he's cursing his family he's cursing his sons and daughter and it is like or and he's like you know god why do you send me such lazy children it's like i have to do all the work now look what's happened to me and suddenly he opens up his one good eye at the moment and Bartolo's standing over him. And he says, Bartolo, now you're here, but you know, I need, look, where were you when I needed you? Look, look what happened to your father because you're so lazy. And Bartolo raises his right arm and he points to his, his arm and he says, don't worry, dad, with this arm, I'm going to make you so rich. You'll never have to work again. <laughs> and so he tells me that story and I, I wrap up the interview and I had been driven to Bartolo's father's house um, by a friend of Bartolo's from when he was a kid who did not speak English and one of Bartolo's representatives who was acting as my translator. We're walking back to the, to the car and I, I, 
ha- could not continue walking. I, I just stopped and I just had to like sort of bend over and I had my hands on my knees and Bartolo's representative says to me, Hey, are, are you okay? Like he was concerned. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Sorry. So I kind of gathered myself and I, I kept walking. I take like two more steps and I can't walk anymore. And I, I bend over again and he's like, dude, what's wrong? Are you all right? Like he's like legitimately concerned. Right. But, and I, I said, look, I, I catch my breath. And I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm being weird. He's like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? I said, I'm just really overcome with emotion right now. I said, you know, that story was great. I said, but really for me, it was, it showed how much trust that Bartolo, his representatives, his friends, his family, including his father, how much trust you've all put in me to tell this story, to tell the story right. And it just means so much to me. I said, I was a high school English teacher for 11 years. I, I didn't think I'd be doing something like this. This is amazing. I'm in the Dominican Republic being paid to write Bartolo Colon's story. And it means so much to me. And you guys are trusting me so much. It's just incredible. And I feel like his story that he just told, like really just sort of showed that. Right. And um, I said, I'm sorry. I, I know it's weird. But I said, but I, I just can't help it. And he goes, no, it's okay. Look, and he points to his arm and he's got goosebumps down his whole arm. Right. <laughs> and then Bartolo's friend comes back around the car and he, and he says in Spanish to the, to the representative, he goes, Hey, is this guy all right? And in Spanish, he answers him back. He goes, no, he's all right. He's just emotional from that story. So, and the guy goes, Hey, look. And he points to his arm. He's got goosebumps <laughs> down his arm. Where to God, I'm not exaggerating an ounce. <laughs> And I'm like, all right. And I just kind of gathered myself and I went back to, you know, to the car and we, and we went about our day. But um, it just it just meant so much to me to to do this book, not just because it was great for my career, because I, you know, got paid <laughs> to do something like this. It just it just for them to trust me that much. Right. Nice. <laughs> meant so much. And and you've done a terrific job with it. I'm sure he's the very proud of the book. And uh, uh, it's just too bad that this uh, virus came and you can't, you know, uh, can't share it in public, uh, if you will, you know, book signings, that sort of thing with people. But yeah, that's my one regret. You know, some people have said, like, ah, it must suck. You know, maybe it hurt sales. I think actually it could have helped sales, perhaps. I mean, who knows? We don't really know yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, I do wish that we could have maybe done some signings together or. My real big dream was to get into the SNY booth with him uh, for like a half inning with uh, Ron, um, which was not off the table. Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe we can do it next year for some reason, but probably not. But you know, it's I, like I, you know, like I said before, off off mic, uh, I'm still regardless. I'm a lucky, I'm a lucky guy. You know, I've I've continued to work throughout this, and my family's safe and and healthy. So that's the main thing. Um, yeah. Working on any other uh, big projects like this again or nothing like this right now. Um, I am uh, exploring some options uh, and it's always just kind of, you know, a numbers game. I mean, like uh, like the Bartolo book, it's going to come down to one day I'm going to get a phone call out of nowhere yeah. and it's going to be like, dude, we want you to do this, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. I, I am, you know, sending out feelers, but I also, like I said, I, I'm a freelance writer, so I'm constantly working on articles and 
and things like that. And if anyone's interested in seeing my work, I'm at uh, michaelstallwrites.com. And I'm um, on social media at Michael R. Stahl, S-T-A-H-L, Michael R. Stahl. Um, so you can follow me on social media and, and check out some of my work. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Well, again, it's it's a terrific book. Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon in his own words. Uh, and uh, Michael Stahl is the co-author of it with Bartolo Colon. And just a, just an interesting book. And like I said, it's a, it's a little bit different than your normal biography, but... Uh, it's 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 Bartolo. It kind of fits the way it's all put together and everything. You said that twice now that it's different. I mean, in your mind, because I'm just curious, I, you know, to, to hear the reader's perspective, you know, what's what's different about it? What did you enjoy most? About it? Uh, I just I, I just think the way the whole structure of the book, it was uh, uh, short chapters in my mind because I got through it so fast, which is. You know, sometimes I, I oh, okay, yeah, I remember that. Um, but uh, it, it just with the interjection of the different stories, uh, you know, uh, the questions you're asking the other players and and teammates and managers and that kind of thing, and uh, it, it just it just felt like a different. It it felt like a fun book. Yeah. And and you know sometimes you can read some books and they're very good but they're drudgery. Um, yeah. But this was just kind of light. It was, uh, uh, and I mean it in a good way. Uh, you know, I mean uh, it was oh, it was good. it was fast. And he was so, uh, you know, it was just a whole different side of him that we never saw. He he uh, he was so open, and uh, you know. Um, I, I don't know what I was expecting, let's put it that way. But um, I didn't think he'd be that open about everything because, you know, we see the guy and we see him with, with the language and everything, and you figure he's not, you know, he it's, how is this going to work? When I first saw it, to be honest, I was like, how is this going to work at all, you know? Because he, he, he doesn't seem like the most openest guy there, but... But yet he always looked like a good te- a teammate to everybody. But then yeah. after reading the book, and, and like I said, the first thing that hit me was, boy, he cries a lot. <laughs> he's an emotional guy. He's, he's enigmatic. He, he's like a walking contradiction. Yeah. And I, you know, and that's everything about him. You know, he's, he's you, know, you look at him and he's this big fat guy, supposedly, which believe me, when you meet him in person, just take my word for it, he's not that fat yeah he's not that he's not as big a guy as you might think yeah um and yet and, he works uh, out a lot yeah and of course yeah and but you know so he's this big heavy guy supposedly but he's this amazing athlete and and that right. you know so again that's what endeared the fans to him and you know i think when you think about that sort of contradiction that that's everything in his life yeah you know yeah. he's that way He's a layer, not in a bad way. He's just he's a really interesting, layered, complicated, interesting guy, and yeah. uh, with with uh, and just like I said, just kind of like a walking contradiction. Just when you think he'll be one way, <laughs> and and in this book, you were able to peel back some of those layers and give us a really good insight into who he is. And and I enjoyed the book immensely, and I hope it sells a, a lot of copies. And and I want to thank you for taking the time today to come on the show. 
Good. Thanks for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Michael. And and I'll be back right after this. And we're back. And uh, you know, it really is a terrific book. Uh, Big sexy. The Bartolo Colon story in his own words. Go check it out. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. Uh, let's see. We, let's take a look at the schedule. And then, no, before we do the schedule, let's let's look at some more news that came out uh, this week. The Mets, of course, have signed Juan Lagaris back and uh, got rid of Melky Cabrera. I don't know if we re- released that last week, may have said that last week. They've also signed catcher Bruce Maxwell. And if you remember, he was the, um, the former ace catcher that uh, took a knee during the national anthem, and he's been whining about that he's been persona non grata throughout MLB because he took a knee. Uh, and that's really not... The, the truth that was in 2017 or 18 but that's not the truth what 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 he forgets to say is that uh he uh, was eventually arrested for pointing a gun at a female food delivery worker who'd been called to his home so he called doordash or uber eats or one of them and the person came and he greeted them with a gun instead of a tip so uh, he took a plea deal. He's on probation, and the Mets signed him to a minor league contract. Why? I have no idea. I can't figure this deal out at all. Why did they need another catcher? I, I'm not sure, unless somebody got hurt in Brooklyn. But I couldn't find anything on it, so I don't know why. And of all guys to sign this guy, who uh, obviously uh, you know has had some uh, history and isn't what we'd call an A1 citizen in the world. But this is the Mets of uh, BVW, and uh, so they signed Maxwell to a uh, contract. Okay, what are you going to do? Let's take a look at the schedule. And schedule's going to be in flux, because in case you haven't heard, the Marlins have 16 people with COVID. Now, I thought the whole idea of this uh, season was to have this 60-man player pool, so if a number of teams got sick with it, uh, or or one team got sick, that you draw from that pool. I don't know. Right away, they canceled some, some of the Marlins games, and we're going to reschedule them in the future, but... That doesn't seem like the whole idea that the, the you know was originally planned. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, the Mets go uh, not this week, but the uh, Marlins will be coming in in a week or so. The Phillies have not played either. They've canceled workouts because of a scare because they played the Marlins, and uh, you know at first it was thought it was the the Phillies. Uh, uh, visitors clubhouse that was uh, the cause of this and then the story comes out later on that the Marlins went out on the town either one or more when they were in Atlanta doing an exhibition game so more to report on that you're just going to have to wait and see what the schedule says but this week's schedule the Mets uh, conclude tonight as we record this on Thursday with the Boston Red Sox at home they didn't travel to Atlanta 
to play the Atlanta Braves on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, a four-game series with those Atlanta Braves in Atlanta. They then travel to a nation's capital to play two games with the champion uh, Washington Nationals, and then they are off next Thursday before they come home to play the Miami Marlins and then uh, other games, but we'll get into that next week. Um, but will those games be on hold? Will they play somebody else that weekend? Will they not play at all? Who knows? Uh, baseball thought they had a very good plan, but there's a lot of things that aren't going right, and, and guys are dropping like flies with this COVID, so we'll see even if we have baseball next week. You know, you never know. They could decide to uh, cancel. And Miami Marlins, as I said, 16 players, I believe now, uh, have the COVID, and uh, in fact, it was announced today that one of the uh, the owners of the team uh, passed away from it. So, who knows what that means? What's that going to do to anything except uh, you know uh, change baseball's mind about playing the rest of the season or or what they're going to do? I don't. You know, if if the Marlins don't want to play, I don't know what the heck. What are they going to do? Everybody gets a win against the Mar. It was scheduled against the Marlins, and an off day. Who knows? But we'll see how that plays out. We'll probably have more. We'll have more on that next week. Uh, but I want to thank you for tuning in this week and enjoying the show, and thank my guest Michael Stahl for uh, taking time from his schedule to uh, be on the show and I want to thank you all for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Spotify, YouTube yes we have a YouTube channel uh, go check out the video version of the podcast wherever you listen to or watch the podcast hit that subscribe button it helps me grow the show and expand to new listeners and if you'd like to help out the show you can by go to anchor.fm slash Mets Musings, and there is a support button there. Or you can also go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Mets Musings, and uh, uh, help out the show any way you can. Anything would be greatly appreciated. And remember, until next time, you know, we'll see what happens with this crazy baseball season. But until next time, remember to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musings. Mets Musings.